Last week we looked at Luke chapter 10 and the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus tells this story where an Israelite guy gets set upon by robbers and beat up and left to die on the side of the road. And a priest of all people walks by and leaves him there. And a Levite of all people passes by and leaves him there. And then a Samaritan, who is of course going to pass by and leave him there, but he doesn't. He stops and he uh, mends the man's wounds and sees him brought to some kind of a in-hospital kind of situation, pays for his expenses, covers his expenses. And Jesus presents this to the lawyer who's interrogating him, but to all his disciples and all of those who are listening, as this is the model of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer is saying, what, what are the, the greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And here's a story to illustrate what that is. And Jesus tells the lawyer, he tells everybody, go and do likewise. And we want to, right? We read that story and our heart is drawn to that. We see in the Good Samaritan the essence of the Christian ethic to love our neighbors. That when we see some problem in our communities, when we see somebody who's hurting, we don't run and hide from them. We don't speed on by past them. We move towards them. That's the Christian ethic. When we see somebody, doesn't matter who they are, who is hurting and in pain and grieving, we, as much as it depends on us, as much power as we have, we go and we try to help that situation. We move towards it. And we want to do this. We want to be like Christ in this way. But last week we talked about, well, what gets in the way of us being good neighbors? What gets in the way of us being like the Good Samaritan? To go and do likewise like Jesus tells us to. And what we talked about was, what gets in the way is this self our self-involved default settings. Which we said the Bible's kind of code word for this is idols. Our self-involved default settings, our idols. And those idols work by staying invisible to us. They stay hidden. And they stay hidden because of the speed of our lives, because of our hurry, because of our busyness. And this prevents us from being good neighbors. We talked about this study that the Princeton Seminary did on seminary students. And the key line in that study that we talked about last week, it says that they, the students who were in the high hurry group did not perceive the scene in the alley, this sort of Good Samaritan setup. They did not perceive that scene as an occasion for an ethical decision, which is like, you know, academics speak for, for saying they didn't see what was really happening there. They didn't see that it was an opportunity for them to be a good neighbor to this fallen person. They didn't perceive, they didn't see it as an opportunity, as an occasion for an ethical decision. Now this week we're in Acts chapter 3. And I asked uh, Anita to read from chapter 2 to chapter 3 for a very important point. Because I want us, as we go into chapter 3, to remember that the context is Pentecost. And the, the, the importance of Pentecost is hard to overstate. I don't want to preach a sermon on Pentecost off the cuff here. But Pentecost is the unique outpouring of the Holy Spirit as a sign that all that Jesus said he was going to do and did, he truly did. He sat down at the right hand of power and he poured out on God's people all that God had promised. We actually read this up in verse 33 of chapter 2. Peter says in verse 32, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out that 
which you, this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So the, this is just this extraordinary moment. All the promises of God are yes in Christ, and here is where that yes is first heard. This is the time where Jesus shouts yes to all God's promises for God's people. And the very next thing, the very next thing that happens in chapter 3 is a Good Samaritan setup. Right? It's a, a very reminiscent of, a good Samaritan, of the Good Samaritan story. Here's this fellow who's in need, who's begging, and everybody's just plowing by him. He's right at the gate of the temple, right? So how many priests are moving by him? How many Levites are going by him? How many times do the disciples walk by this guy? So what's different now? What's different? Right? Acts 3 opens up with a good Samaritan parable, but really happening. Only this time, there's something different for the disciples. So last week we talked about what gets in the way of us being good neighbors. What's, what gets in the way of us being good Samaritans? This week we want to talk about what frees us to be good neighbors. What frees us to be good Samaritans? And we see in the text something of a beginning of an answer in chapter 3, verse 4. So this guy is begging, and he, in verse 3, he asks Peter and John for some alms. And it says in verse 4, Peter directed his gaze at him. Right, so other translations will say Peter looked intently at him. In other words, Peter and John at this moment, they perceived this as an occasion for an ethical decision. They hadn't, the pre week previous, they'd walked right by this guy. He was there begging alms. But now they stop and they see, hold on a second, we could be a good neighbor to this guy. We could help this guy out. Well, why? What changed? What was different in Acts chapter 3? Well, what we see is different in Acts chapter 3 is Acts chapter 2. What's different is that they are now filled with the Spirit of Christ in a very unique and extraordinary way. So, filled with the Spirit of Christ, the apostles now are unblinded. And so they can become Christ-like neighbors. They, be, they can become good Samaritans to this lame man. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What frees us to be good neighbors? So on the one hand, last week we talked about what keeps us from that is our unexamined defaults shaped by our self-interest. This week, what frees us is we are freed by giving attention to the interests of Christ. So rather than living under a default mode of operating, just what are your habits? What are your routines? Don't think. Think. Show up. Be present. Give attention to the interests of Christ. You've heard of uh, mindfulness, right? Mindfulness is kind of a, a big thing right now, right? Everybody wants to, and I think that generally it's a, it's a kind of a good thing. But mindfulness, the ultimate goal of mindfulness is to connect you to give attention to the interests of me, Right? Mindfulness is me giving attention to my interests. Okay, that, that's probably fine for a little bit. But what this is, what the Spirit's trying to do, is help us to give attention to the interests of Christ. And when I go into a situation, when I, when I meet somebody, when I, I, I go out, I say, what are the interests of Christ in the situation? Which is very different than how I live, most of us live. I go into the store, 
to get what I want, and they better doggone have it, and it would be nice if it was on sale, and the line was short, and I can get out of here, right? I'm just driven by all sorts of aspects of my interests, and I have no interest in what Christ is interested in. And so, I'm not a good neighbor. So we want to be free to give attention to the interests of Christ. Just as last week we talked about how our unexamined defaults are really, in, in biblical terms, that's idols. Giving attention to the interests of Christ in Bible terms is keeping in step with the Spirit. This is Paul's language at the end of Galatians. He says, keep in step with the Spirit. But the Spirit is walking with us through life and is a little ahead of us, is trying to be, right? He's trying to lead us and trying to direct us. So keep in step with the Spirit. And the Spirit's job and what the Spirit wants to do in our life is to direct us to Jesus and to doing His will in this world. Now my idols, I can't remember if this is a slide or not. My idols, they want to keep me like me. That's what my idols are trying to do. They want to keep me like me but I want to be like Jesus. And so this is what the Spirit is doing. The Spirit is working to transform me into His image little by little. Right? 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. That we, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, and all this comes about by the Lord who is the Spirit. This is what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. Now, when the Spirit is doing that in a person's life, what is the evidence of that? We might also say, what is the fruit of the Spirit in a person's life? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Wouldn't you like to have a friend like that? Right? These are all the characteristics of a great friend. These are all the characteristics of a really good neighbor. This is what the Spirit of God is at work to do in us. And it's really important, it's really important as we begin to make sure that we understand together that this whole process of becoming a good neighbor, which we all want to be, from the slowing down, identifying our idols, growing to become more Christ-like, helping people, seeing that helpfulness become effective, that entire process is brought about in us by the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's it. I like the kind of the, the trend is, uh, t-shirts and, and signs that say, be kind. And I think that's good, good reminder to be kind. But the call to be kind is not going to make anybody kinder. Right? You, I've tried it. Shouting and shaming people doesn't seem to do anything for them. Right? So shouting at people and shaming people does not produce the, this. It doesn't produce these traits. The way that God, that Jesus in his infinite wisdom has designed our lives, has designed your life and mine, is that everything good depends on his spirit. So last week we talked about how there's heart idols and head idols and hand idols that, that are our defaults and our habits and our, these, these occupy all of the significant places in our life. Well, what Christ wants is for all of these places to be occupied by the work of the Spirit. The Spirit opens our hearts, Ephesians 1.18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened by the work of the Spirit. The Spirit illumines our minds. We've received the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. 
You know, everything that idols promise, only the Spirit delivers. Idols say, I will open your heart and make you the person you long to be. But only the Spirit can enlighten and illumine our hearts. Idols say, open your mind to me. Give me your mind and I will lead you to the real, real, real truth. But only the Spirit can help us understand the things that have been given to us by God, which is all that we need. And likewise, with our hands, the Spirit energizes our hands. Paul says in Colossians 1, For this I toil, struggling with His energy, that He works powerfully in me. I toil, He works His energy. The Spirit does all of this. So, if this is how this works, if the Spirit works to free us up to be the good neighbors, to be the good Samaritans that we long to be, Why is it so hard to see the Spirit? Why is it so hard to know what the Spirit is doing in our lives? Do you know what the Spirit is doing in your life? Why is it so hard to know where the Spirit is leading us? If I had to say, all right, everybody write down on one piece of paper the, the person or the situation that the Spirit is leading you to be a good neighbor to, we'd all just stare at the rafters for a really awkward amount of time, right? Why is it so hard to see where the Spirit is leading us? What are we doing or what are we not doing that we ought to be doing or ought to stop doing? So let's look at Jesus for a second. Now, of course, Jesus is always the answer uh, to every question asked in church, but let's look at Jesus and let's first of all think about the unique relationship that he has with the Spirit. So here's just a sampling of verses that describe the relationship that Jesus has with the Spirit of God. When Jesus was baptized in Matthew 3, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Jesus. You remember, this is right at the beginning of his public ministry, and very publicly, and with kind of an exclamation point, the Spirit comes to rest on Jesus. Very, a few verses later, the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness. So just think about this for a second. Why did Jesus go into the wilderness? Right? Because the Spirit was on him, and now the Spirit was leading him. Jesus didn't go into the wilderness because he's like, this is the next thing on my app. This is the next thing in my plan. He was being led by the Spirit. In Matthew 12, 18, Jesus reads this scroll. He says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. He's quoting Isaiah. I will put my spirit upon him. And a few verses later, 10 verses later, Jesus now replying to the Pharisees, he says, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons. How did Jesus do all the crazy stuff he did? He tells us, I do it by the spirit of God. You know, part of the mystery of Jesus' sinlessness His power, his wisdom, was that he did it all by the Spirit. Let that hit you for just a second. He did it by the Spirit. He did it the same way that you and I are being asked to do it. So in this way, he can be a model for those who want to walk by the Spirit. Because Jesus perfectly lived by the Spirit. He lived by the Spirit, and He did it perfectly. He lived truly, by and with and fully in the Spirit all the time. 
He was always the good neighbor, always the good Samaritan. He always glorified God. He always loved his neighbor because he was always keeping in step with the Spirit. So this is the relationship that Jesus has with the Spirit. The relationship that we would love to have, but we don't. So let's look at Jesus and his unique relationship with the Spirit. Before we go any further, let me just ask you this. Can you think of a time when Jesus was rushed, anxious, when he was kind of out of control, had to apologize to people later for what he said or did? Maybe he hit them a little too hard or he shouldn't have said that word. Can you remember any time where Jesus does anything like that in the Gospels? Absolutely not. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, all you who are hurried and rushed and anxious and busy, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Right, so this promise of rest, this promise of my easy burden and my yoke, Jesus is saying, I'm the only one who knows this. And you're not going to enjoy rest, and you're not going to enjoy an unhurried life of keeping in step with the Spirit if you don't learn it from me. So let's look at Jesus and think about this. Well, Jesus lived by the Spirit. He was never hurried or stressed. But I want to I point out something further here. So sometimes we think that Jesus did all of his great signs and miracles because he was God. Jesus tells us he did it by the power of the Spirit. And sometimes we think that Jesus was just so perfect because he just was. How is Jesus this unanxious person? How was he this way? Was it just magic? It wasn't magic. Listen to this. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Now even more, the report about Jesus went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. In those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. Luke 9, now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, I love this one, as Jesus was praying alone, his disciples were with him. So you don't have to be completely alone to get alone before God which I think is good news for the, the family folk out there. Jesus was praying alone, but he had his disciples with him. Matthew 14, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side. He dismissed the crowds, and after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was there alone. You notice the common theme in the life and ministry of Jesus, a, a set of habits, little speed bumps that he brings into his life to make sure that he is walking with the Spirit. Here's another one. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his custom, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So what does the rhythm of Jesus' life sound like? It sounds like the kind of speed bumps that we talked about last week. These little things to help slow him down. How was Jesus never in a hurry? How was he walking by the Spirit? He found silence and solitude. He kept Sabbath. Listen, these are habits that are shaped by the commands. We looked at these commands last week. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Right? If we're going to know the true God, we've got to be still a little bit. Otherwise, we're just going to be listening to and chasing after our projections 
our unexamined defaults, our false gods. Be still. Isaiah 30, in quietness and trust shall be your strength. If you're not quiet before the Lord, you're not hearing Him. And how many times throughout the Old Testament, wait on the Lord, and the admonition that is always coupled with wait on the Lord is be strong. Be strong and courageous and wait. Because this is a challenging thing to follow the Lord. Here's the point I want to make by looking at Jesus. Jesus' life. This is, a, this is I think, a kind of an extraordinary point. Jesus' life in the Spirit was sustained. Right? He didn't just always have it. He kept it through the habits that come from the commands of Scripture. Jesus' life of walking with the Spirit was sustained. It was not innate in Him, but He relied upon the Spirit. And that perfect reliance, which only Jesus had, His perfect reliance on the Spirit, He sustained it perfectly by silence and solitude, Sabbath, where He enjoyed prayer and contemplation of Scripture and reflection. You know, when was the last time, I was thinking about this in writing the sermon, when was the last time that I was truly concerned with what the Spirit was doing in my life? When I go to prayer, 99 out of 100 times, I am concerned with communicating to the Lord what's on, what I want Him to do. Right? I want to lead the Lord through my prayers. Lord, here's where we're going, buddy. Let's go. When was the last time that I was concerned with Lord, my life's a mess. Lead me out. Where are we going today? But when we don't pay attention to the Spirit, here's what happens. When we don't pay attention to the Spirit, the Spirit is not in our lives in a fruitful way. That is, the fruit of the Spirit are not going to appear in our life. And so, the visibility of the Spirit in our lives, the visibility to us, the visibility of the Spirit to others is directly related to the pace of our lives. The visibility of the Spirit is directly related to the pace of our lives. The Spirit is hidden by our hurry. Just as last week we looked at how our idols are hidden by our hurry, so also our, is the Spirit's work in our life hidden by our sense of hurry. So we, we need to make this our prayer that you know, throughout Scripture, what is it when you can't see? It's called blindness, right? Well, Scripture, one of its concerns is spiritual blindness. I'm, I'm reading the Gospel of John right now, and, and there's this really interesting line at one point. Jesus says to the Pharisees and the scribes, He says, if you, were, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. He's talking about spiritual sight and spiritual blindness. And, and that really resonated with me. How many times... Do I, you know, especially as a pastor, act like I see everything? I know what we should do. I know what God's doing. He says, because you say, I see, I know. You guys know? You know what you're doing in your life? You know why you're doing it? You got it all figured out? You're blind. Which is why God's people have been praying from the Psalms for thousands of years, open the eyes of my heart. Open my eyes that I might see wonderful things from you and in your word. 
perhaps we need to begin by admitting that we don't see quite how we would like. So let's talk about these speed bumps, the speed bump thing. You ever hit a speed bump? You know the speed bumps that they don't paint yellow and you scrape your chassis on? Like you're just, woo, living your life, going your way. Live, you know, you, you got to figure it out and you hit that thing and boom, whoosh, and then you're, you know, praising the Lord and thanking him for uh, this trial and tribulation in your life. No, you're very frustrated, right? Speed bumps are not our favorite thing. I go to pick up my son from school, and there's like, they have like 15 speed bumps to keep the little babies precious, you know? So there's like, you're just constantly, and you're just, it's so frustrating, right? Speed bumps can be really frustrating, but they keep us safe. They're a really smart invention. Speed bumps for the spiritual life that we just saw in Jesus, in his example, are things like daily or regular quiet times with the Lord, day, uh, weekly regular Sabbath times. Now here's an interesting thing. Jesus never commands daily devotions. Right, like the, the, like the, the thing that churches and pastors are always preoccupied with, right? You do your devotion, you, you come to church, he never commands it. He never commands daily devotions. He never commands Sabbath keeping. I don't, I don't think that Jesus thought he needed to. Right? I think that Jesus assumed that this is the very thing that we long for, that we long to come before the Lord, that we long to return ourselves daily and weekly to attend to his presence in our lives that we long to take time to remember in a world that submerses us in falsehood, to remember what is true. The only thing Jesus says on the subject is he says, he says, Sabbath was made for you. Why, why wouldn't you want to enter that space in that time and enjoy what's there for you? Sabbath was made for you. So the habits of holy people throughout Scripture, they're, they're just little speed bumps meant to slow us down so that we can see and hear the Spirit, so that the Spirit can work and lead and give us what we need, and so we can begin to perceive the opportunities around us. This uh, Frederick Beekner that I mentioned earlier, one of my favorite writers, he, is, he said that his whole writing ministry can be summed up in this phrase, pay attention. Pay attention to your life. Pay attention to the voice of the Lord. Pay attention to the people around you. Pay attention to the moments. You know, we live fast, we live loud, and as we live fast and loud, we increase the guarantee of our unexamined idols troubling our lives, and we increase the chances of missing out on what the Lord wants to share with us. So let me encourage all of us today to slow down. Put some of these speed bumps in your life. Slow down. Say no. And say no so that you can say yes when the Lord directs you to be a good neighbor to somebody. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Christ, 
for the story of the Good Samaritan, for the example of the apostles in Acts 3, and for the way your word attaches this to the work of the Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us good eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are open to your work in our lives. Lord, you know we want to be those who are transformed by your Spirit to become a little more like Jesus today and tomorrow and throughout the rest of our lives. And yet we are also those who want to get a lot done and we want to keep up, we want to get ahead, we want to catch up. And we have these things at war in us. Lord, I pray that you would that you would give us the courage, the strength that Scripture talks about so that we might learn to wait on the Lord. To not be those who lead you, but to be those who follow you and hear you. Because Lord, we want to be those who see you work in our lives. We want to see you, Lord. And so we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.